It's my first time. You're new here, aren't you? First time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I just watched the season two finale of Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the first time, and I've also watched the season two finale for the very first time, but I haven't seen anything past this point. Hand on a Bible. God's honest truth. Jeff and I are two veteran Star Trek. Po- no one's going to believe that I've not actually watched beyond this episode. Now that I've said that, because you, know that? you said that exactly. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> you just, but it's true. I've, I really, I, this is as far in the show as I've seen. I have theories about where things are going and I have no idea if I'm right or not. Although I'm pretty good at this game. Anyway, Jeff and I are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching this show for the very first time. However, we're taking those skills we've developed as Star Trek podcasters, that over-analytical lens that we apply, looking for hope and morals and meanings and messages buried deep within sci-fi, and we're applying that lens to Babylon 5 and just trying to see how much we really like this series. And like Brent said, we apply that analytical lens that we've learned as Star Trek podcasters. That does not mean we're here to talk about Star Trek. So to keep us on track, we play the rule of three. That means each one of us gets up to three references apiece in each episode. That's it. Three. One of those plays. No substitutions, exchanges, a refund. <laughs> Brent. Jeff. I've got a five-star review for us. Oh, yes. This is off of Apple Podcasts. Debin13 says, I've been a lifelong Trekkie. I remember watching TOS with my dad as a little girl in the 60s who somehow missed Babylon 5. I'm enjoying discovering this show right along with the podcasters. Great job. We got another newbie out there. New person listening out there. That's cool. Because you just, Jeff, I think we both assume that the the people that are listening to this show, like 99% of them are people who've been through this before, and they're laughing at us the entire way because they know exactly what happens. But it's nice to know that other people are on the journey out there with us. Like that's that's very nice to know. And by the way, and I, I just uh, this person you know mentioned growing up as a little girl, female. We know just by our demographics that is a very small percentage of our demographics. So shout out! Uh, I want to I want to I want to level that playing field a little bit as much yeah. as we can. Although I, I certainly understand the pull demographically speaking. Right. I also feel like I've got a special uh, kind of mixed relationship already with Devin 13 and that I grew up watching TOS with my mom as a little boy in the seventies. So, I mean, we're basically related. Yeah. You like grew up across the street from each other. Yeah. I mean, it's not as close as you can get. There you go. I only have two this week and I wanted to keep them short because we kind of have an episode to talk about. It's a little bit of a big deal. So on YouTube, David Brown left a comment recently about my predictions about Anna, Sheridan's sister, and what I believe is going to happen. False predictions that no way is true. I I am I am going to drink so much champagne on the day that that like literally when that (laughs) happens, I'm going to stop the world and just be like that guy, you know? Yeah, I win. I'll do that all by myself with no one watching, but I'll love every second of it. But David Brown says Sheridan's wife was played by Tasha Yar's sister. 
We it doesn't that. count against me. That's David's. Okay, fair enough. Well, Jeff, you know, right there along with our rule of three game, there is another game that we like to play right here on Babylon 5 for the very first time, where at the end of the show, we try to guess what next week's episode is going to be about based on the title of Lone. And this is the spot, the episode where we revisit last week and see what we said this week's episode was going to be about. So, Jeff, what did you say the fall of night was going to be about? Well, not not much of what actually happened. <laughs> well, I mean, at a high level, I did. So I figured that the Centauri were going to attack somewhere and it was going to pull Earth and the Minbari into the war. And, I, and I'm pretty sure I implied that it was going to be um, Earth and Minbari against the Centauri. Earth and the Minbari against the Centauri. A big battle. In, nah, I lost it. Real, I can't freestyle. I was wrong is the answer to that question. Brent, what did you think this one was going to be about? I, I got to be honest. I think I just took the easy way out. I said this is going to be the start of the Great War. And I said that the shadows were, were going to come out of hiding because it's night, which we could argue if that's what happened because that very last shot of the episode shows everybody knows what's going on out there. So it's possible that I don't, I don't know. Maybe I get a quarter credit on that one. Uh, And Ivanova clearly said the great war was upon us now, like at the end of the episode. So yeah, that Ivanova narration really set the tone. Ivanova needs to do way more voiceover work, like way more narration. I found that part so compelling. And back at the beginning of the season, remember when she's doing, it's been eight days since ambassador Lynn went into cocoon and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah, blah. Like i I, I can do more more of her voiceover stuff telling me what's going on. Well, I'll just say this. Earlier today, you were talking about how you've never, you haven't watched ahead of this in any way. I have mm-hmm. a little bit, um, just not the show, but I've seen the opening credits to season three because I had to pull the music down because yeah. I have to have that ready before our season three episode. And let me just say that your wish may be granted. Next week, we have a special episode where we're going to be wrapping up season two, just like we did 22 weeks ago. Holy crud, man. A long time ago when we wrapped up the first season and a big part of that wrap-up episode, we're doing another giveaway. Brent's going to grab it, show it off, but he found, and it, it, look at that. It's an incredible action figure, Captain John Sheridan, and a teeny Babylon 5 station. He's got the Sheridan point going on. But, but if you want to be entered into the giveaway, the drawing for the giveaway for this John Sheridan, and if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Good Pods, anywhere, that, that's awesome. We love having you here. But pop on over to YouTube. Hop onto our Twitter at Babylon First. You'll see a picture of this bad boy. All you need to do is go to one of those podcast places, leave us a review, Take a screenshot, send it to us at Babylon First or our email, Babylon5First at gmail.com. It's number five in the word first at gmail.com, and you'll be entered in the giveaway for Captain John Sheridan. Who Jeff, I just that? I just want to note toys being what they are sometimes. I'm I'm looking at this and uh now it says that it's Captain John Sheridan in an Earth Force uniform. Okay, that's very that's, specific. That's what it says. But I'm looking at this uniform, and while it looks somewhat similar, it is not what we have seen yet so far. This uniform is black with a gold patch, and he has his gold uh, status bar. Mm -hmm. The thing you tried to trade away, he's like, hey, I got 20 of them. It's fine. And then he has a belt buckle that says five on it, and then he's got a couple of arm patches 
but I don't see anything on there that says Earth Force. Like, it doesn't have the EAF thing or EFA deal. I got to tell you, Bruce Boxleitner is a whole lot more handsome than this thing <laughs> than he is as an action figure. But let me ask you the important question about that yeah. action figure Does yeah. it have uh, the correct attributes? Well, I'd say it has the same attributes that every action figure has. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a Ken doll, Jeff. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Well, that totally works. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'll be interested. Do they go to all black as a uniform? Or is this just like a, the toy people got weird? Or I wonder if it's another thing that Deep Space Nine apparently stole from Babylon 5 where they switched oh. uniforms partway through. <laughs> I just burned one on that. Couldn't yeah. help myself. Hey. Speaking of burning ones, let's get to the episode itself. We've been talking about what we thought it was. We've been hinting about a couple little pieces. Brent, for the people that are watching along with us, like Devin13, for the people who haven't seen this in a really long time, or the people who are just listening for some really weird reason not watching the show, why don't you tell our incredible community what the fall of night is about? Well, this episode opens on some star furies out in space conducting training exercises. Think Top Gun in space and you'll get the picture. But it's not just regular Top Gun training. Oh, no, 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 no. They're specifically training against Centauri tactics. More on that later. Sheridan gets called back to the barn to deal with an emergent situation. It seems that Jakar was right. The Centauri have begun to move beyond Narn territory into the Drazi and Pakmara territories. Londo says to Sheridan, don't you take that tone with me, you peasant, when Sheridan questions him about it. And he tries to sell some BS line about them trying to stabilize the whole area by developing a buffer zone around their space. Yeah, no one's buying that. Not even Londo. But hey, do you remember that thing back in like season one, maybe early season two, where we said that all the new people coming on board the station at the beginning of the episode, those are always the bad guys? Well, that motif is back because two representatives of the Ministry of Peace have just arrived on Babylon 5 to investigate the Centauri. It actually turns out what they're really doing is they're just making a final check before signing a formal alliance with the Centauri. So... Right about now would be a perfect time for a Narn-heavy cruiser that escaped being destroyed during the war to just show up on Babylon 5's doorstep asking for sanctuary. Well, Sheridan grants it, but the secret isn't kept for long as those Ministry of Peace guys find out, and then Londo finds out, and then Centauri Prime finds out, and they send their own battleship to confront the Narn ship. But Sheridan's promised sanctuary to the Narn ship, and he instructs the Star Furies to escort the ship to the jump gate. During the getaway, Keffer, uh, so Keffer is a guy that was introduced in the middle of, or at the beginning of this season. He's been in the credits for every single episode. We've only seen him in like six episodes or so, and he's just kind of around every once in a while and pops up. You really wouldn't know who he is unless you point him out. He sees a shadow ship in hyperspace and goes to check it out, but in doing so, he gets all burnt up, but not before launching his own flight recorder back through the jump gate. Uh, this is going to come back into play later. We'll put a pin in that one for now. As for the Narn ship, Sheridan says, hey, once they're gone, they're not my problem anymore. But that's not good enough for the Ministry of Peace or for the Centauri battleship, who opens fire on both the Narn ship and on Babylon 5 itself. Well, Sheridan <laughs> fires back, as he should, and it winds up destroying the entire Centauri battleship, like blows it up real good. But that's not so good 
because Sheridan knows that this is just what the Centauri need to expand their war even more. The Ministry of Peace guys is trying to step in and calm the whole situation down, ordering Sheridan to issue an apology since, after all, you know, the Centauri shot first. Yeah, Sheridan, sorry, all right. Sorry that the dirty, rotten Centauri shot first. And sorry that they're a bunch of D-back. Ugh, I can't say that. This is a family show. Sheridan gets all dressed up in his best duds and takes a very public transportation over to the garden where he's supposed to issue this apology. And it turns out that it's some A-lister event that everybody is there for. So as Sheridan walks through the station alone, taking public transportation, he's given all sorts of side-eye from the Centauri civilians on board. And one of them leaves him a little gift in the transport shuttle carrying Sheridan, who happens to be all alone. Well, Sheridan sees it just in time and jumps out of the transport before the bomb explodes, and he begins to fall or float or something. But whatever he's doing, it's going to be really bad when he hits the ground because that thing's rotating at like 60 miles an hour or something like that, and he's just going to be squished. Well, they're not going to be able to get any rescue there in time to save him. So Delenn turns and begs Kosh to intercede because he knows what's at stake. Kosh says, okay, and he exits his encounter suit. And it turns out he's an angel, an angel. Vorlons are angels. And everyone who looks at them sees whatever deity it is that they believe in. He's an angel. This must be what he meant when he said that everyone would recognize him if they saw him outside of the encounter suit. Well, Kosh catches Sheridan and sets him down safely. It's kind of a shame that Kosh had to reveal himself because now that might actually trigger the shadows into going into war sooner than everybody's ready for them. Let's just hope they don't find out. Oh, except you remember that flight recorder from Keffer? Yeah, that's made its way into the hands of some very public journalists who have said on public TV as the episode ends, hey, there's this weird spider-looking ship thingy out in the middle of hyperspace. What's up with that? Jeff, what did you think of the season two finale, The Fall of Night? I was right. I was right. The shadows killed Keffer. They did it. I was a couple episodes off. That's all. That's all. But... And I feel so vindicated. I mean, it's just, ah, oh, it feels good. This must be like what you feel like almost every episode. <laughs> I got it. No, seriously, this, this was incredible. This was a, this was a episode that started really, really slow. In fact, this episode follows a little model. I'm going to start calling the infection curve where the first 28 minutes just kind of move forward a little bit and then it just gets going right. and boom huge stuff this was not though the season ender that i expected to be honest but in a weird okay. way in a weird way it was like the season ender that we deserve uh -huh. you know so it, it makes sense in every way were you surprised at all that earth showed up and we're like no actually we're we're hooking up with the Centauri. Like, no, not at all. That didn't. I was, I'm surprised at this whole entrance of this ministry of peace thing. Like I would have suspected that this would have just been earth force itself or something to do with Psycor with the backing of earth force, earth dome, you know, the president. I'm not entirely sure what to really make of this ministry of peace thing just yet, uh, because that really seemed more like a one-off thing that sort of, just came in one episode. And if that's 
if that's taking on the new form, like if that has replaced home guard or that's repl- like whatever that is, and I, I still don't know what to make of it. I was surprised that that was the thing that, that was used. That was the vehicle that was used, but I wasn't surprised that we did that at all. Like they came on and I was like, I don't, I don't know why, but I don't trust these two. Like they haven't yeah. given me any reason to, I just don't, there's, there's up to no good. There's going to be a twist. And as soon as it was shown what it was, you're like, there it is. Yep. Of course. Got it. Of yeah. course it was. Yeah. Like the, the minute that Jakar tried to talk to Wells and he's like, Oh, um, uh, I'm like, Oh, guess, yeah. cause this is why, but I think did I, you probably read it before, but it might've been a long time ago, but did you ever read Orwell's 1984? I have not. I read, um, I think we were assigned to it in school once and I tried to read the cliff notes and I made it like halfway through the cliff notes. And okay. I was like, I don't care. And I just, I think I still got like a C on the assignment. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> but in one of the things they do in that book is they have a series of ministries that handle the opposite of what they are. So oh. you have the, the ministry of truth, which is the propaganda machine that does nothing but spew lies. And then right. you have the ministry of peace, which they also call mini packs in, in the book, but the ministry of peace handles war. Yeah. And part of the mythology in 1984, I guess that's the right word is there's a constant war that's happening mm-hmm. that, that, that no one knows for sure is actually happening. Like it's just on the media and they use it to control the populace, but they do that externally with the ministry of peace controlling the war against the other continents. But mm-hmm. internally they have like the night watch thing where they, they call them thought police and thought crime. And they go after people for the things that they think they're thinking. Right. So to me, like when the ministry of peace or mini packs showed up, it's like, yep, this is right from those pages. This is going to be what it is. Home guard. I'm positive is a tool of theirs and they're going to use them to set different things up, you know, or the anti-earth, whatever things, but it's going to be the ministry of peace that comes in to set things up. And just like Wells was in this, he's like, yeah, we're not here for war. We're here to protect earth and earth's interest. We're here to maintain the peace. And how do you argue with that? Sounds great. But I think in this episode, it, it, it would be dumb to say that. Like, I mean, we saw Jeff, gosh, Jeff, what? Hey what? Jeff, what? Jeff, I'm sorry. The guy Wells, Ministry mm-hmm. of Peace, and what was the name of the guy who wrote the book, 1984? Orwell, George Orwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I just put that together. <laughs> that's good. That, that's really good. But Brent, we saw Kosh. Like we saw Kosh, like we saw Londo. Yeah, <laughs> we got the full, full exposure, the full Monty. <laughs> and I didn't realize this, and maybe this is just me and my type that I am, but. Kosh is handsome Squidward. <laughs> the way they did the makeup and the head thing, I was just like, mm, he, he, Squidward. The, his human form looked like my son's karate teacher. <laughs> Hello, Mr. V, if you're out there watching somewhere, uh, it, it just looked like him. <laughs> it was interesting how everyone's deity or angel or whatever had the same body. They just like changed well, but their They all chest basically have the same body. Like they all have the same torso and head and two hand, two arms, two legs, two hands, two feet kind yeah. of a thing. So why not slap on some cool wings and call it good? Yeah. Well, you know, what about you, Brent? What did you, uh, what were your impressions of this one? Uh, you know, I liked this episode. Uh, season two ended on a high note for me. You know, this was the episode that should have come after two episodes ago. If we could have flip flopped last week's episode for the one before just flip flop their order 
it, it would have flowed a lot better to me. Although I, I can understand wanting like a, just a breath, you know, but between, between everything, I think we're just now really getting the idea that Sinclair is incredibly important to this whole deal. Sheridan. And I mean, Sheridan. Yes. That guy, Sheridan, uh, Sinclair, I'm sure is very important to this whole deal too, but no, but Sheridan important enough to make Kosh reveal himself to everyone in a very public situation. Like that's how important he is. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested to find out why it's Sheridan. Why is Sheridan the one who like, it has to be him. You know, we go through that whole episode last week. Like, remember you're the right person in the right place at the right time, which I find very interesting. I was thinking about that after we stopped recording last week. Yeah. Well, right time. And we know about Babylon four and like in time, just in in general. Yeah. And how Zathras is supposed to be from the future and Sinclair is bouncing around out there and whatever, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Just saying, just saying anyway, but overall I liked it. I like what you said. The in what would you call it? The infection model. Yeah. Like the, or the, like the first, the first bit of it's real slow and then boy, oh, howdy does it take off. I didn't mind the first bit of it. I just, it, it just felt like ramping, you know? Uh, but I can certainly see why you would say that, but I, uh, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really good. Um, I'm going to make a statement here in a little bit about the ministry piece guys. I think that's going to surprise you, but I'm not quite there just yet. Londo continues to be dead to me. Like when he comes in, you know, to Sheridan, Sheridan's like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And Londo's like, don't you take that tone of voice with me, boy. You know? And I'm like, dude, Londo, <laughs> you're overstepping it. But the conversation that followed actually made me stop the video as I was watching it. Really? A conversation between Garibaldi and Sheridan talking about Londo where, you know, Garibaldi says what we're all thinking. Londo is not the same guy, and I want to put my hands around his throat and pop his head like a zit. He's like, but you can also feel sorry for him if you'd ever stop being afraid. And what I thought was real interesting was while Garibaldi definitely wanted to just punch Londo in the face, he also saw the person in the midst of his crap. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's like, no, he's afraid. Like, all of this is a mask for him. This is not real. This is not, he knows that this is too far. He knows that this is wrong. And and the reason he's acting out like this is because he's afraid. You know, do, if if you if you meet a dog that is cornered, do you get mad at the dog for snarling at you? Exactly. If you're trying to approach the dog, you're trying to help the dog, but it thinks it you know that it thinks you are a threat and you're cornering it and it's snarling, are you mad at the dog for that? Not really. That's kind of like the way I just I thought it was so interesting that Garibaldi of all people Delin, I would expect this from Lanier. I would expect this from, but Garibaldi of all people was like, he's in the midst of his stuff right now, man. That's what it is. And he never lost sight of the person, which I just, I found it real fascinating. Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon five for the first time experience to the next level with our exclusive Patreon? you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community. And you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part 
of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. And I thought the whole scene was, it was a great example of show and tell because Garibaldi told us the whole thing. We'll, we'll look into his eyes. You know, he's terrified. Yeah. What did he say? Uh, he's, uh, he's on a wild horse and he's afraid he's going to fall off. So he's grabbing on even tighter. Yeah. Great metaphor. But before that, just, I mean, oh my God, what an incredible, just massive performance by, by Peter Jurisic when He's, you know, he's bloviating and he's yelling, you know, how dare you? Yeah. But his eyes, when you see that scene and you look at his eyes, he's, he is, he is terrified and he's embarrassed. Like there's a moment where Sheridan kind of turns away and Londo's like, oh, I can't believe I just did that. But it's just like, it is these tiny inflections in his eyes that happen and you, <clears throat> you feel it. Yeah. And then Garibaldi tells you, and you're right, he is dead. And I think the moment, the moment in this episode, he died for me forever was during Ivanova's voiceover at the end when he's in the council chambers, just yelling and pumping his fist. I'm like, okay, this guy's garbage. He's he is. He's yeah. He's irredeemable. We said that last, last week or two weeks ago, he's irredeemable. Yeah. At this without point. question, without yeah. question. Now he, I'm going to burn number two. He's the Nick Lacarno that could have been Tom Paris, but was too irredeemable that they had to create an entirely new character. <laughs> You, you mentioned though, um, Lanier and yeah. seeing Lanier make an observation like this, our sidekicks real quick conversation on our sidekicks. Yeah. I still want the spinoff. So I feel like, I feel like we had the scene from which the spinoff can be built. Yeah. When they were in the bar being like, dude, 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 <laughs> dude. <Right. laughs> I, I love, I love this. All scene. right. Same time next week. Same time next week. Yep. All right. You got to wonder how many times have they had that exact same conversation at up to this point? Like my question on that, my second first watch through, I was just like, that's awesome that they have to be in a wide awake nightmare. You know, just, I mean, even Lanier, just like Delenn walks in is like, Oh, do this, do this, do this. And by the way, I decided to transform myself into a hybrid men bar. And that's cool. Just please support me. And Oh, I'm not a set high anybody. Oh my gosh. Flying by the seat of his pants and veer we've seen. The stuff that Veers had to deal with. Well, I, I mean, I mean, that's an interesting thought about Lanier right now, right? So Lanier comes on board station and he is going to serve Satai Delenn. Yeah. This is his, I mean, he's come up, he's worked for this and he's, and he knows he's still not to that level yet, you know? And then she gives it up. Now he's going to stay loyal to her, but he didn't go that route. Mm -mm. He didn't go in the cocoon himself. He's still who he is, you know, and, and he's had to defend her repeatedly for doing this. Like, you've got to wonder, is there a spot of him that albeit loyal to Delenn and very willing to follow her into the gates of hell? He's still sitting there going, what the hell are you doing lady? Cause he's got to pick up all the pieces right in that, in that. Um, and now for a word, when she broke down in front of the reporter and probably, you know, went off. He probably had to step in and be like, okay, sorry, Miss Torkman. Let me walk you back to this area. And I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. All those things. I mean, and it's just what a horrible, horrible position to be in. But the second time I watched this episode, 
I thought maybe they were communicating in some sort of a code. That'd be cool. Passing information back and forth. Yeah. It just seemed it's that whole, you know, uh, Hey, let's head to the corner. I'm going to have a cigarette, turn my back to you. You have a cigarette. And I say something about the matches that I used, which trigger, you know, it's it's like the old spy craft kind of stuff. Jeff, if that turns out to be right, that's going to be awesome. Like, I really hope you're right about that because that sounds like I want that to like, don't come up to like the end of season three. Like I, I want to see them do this several more times throughout the season and just have no clue. And then all of a sudden you realize what they're doing. I hope that's the way it works. They out. put a whole thing together. This is how they get to work behind their ambassadors backs and help the Narn, you know, or, or do whatever. Right. Like I was talking last week about how I think Veer is going to be the hero of the Narn, the Narn rebellion. And this is, this is kind of how it all happens. Right. It'd be cool if that, but my, but my, my, the sad thing that I had in the spinoff show, cause there, there it is like from that scene, you can launch the whole show. Here's the sidekicks. I am both disappointed and relieved though, that Natoth was not a part of that. My guess, the whole crew behind the scenes, everybody uh-huh. has the same feelings that we do about new Natoth. And they're just like, okay, failed experiment. Shakar's just citizen Shakar. So he's just not going to have an attache anymore. Just sad. Because she was so great, was so great. Hey, the whole scene with Kaniki where he's getting drilled uh-huh. by Ministry of Peace, dude, right? As soon as he said, we're looking for people who are disloyal, people who might have said, might have said something that might be disloyal. Can you let us know? And he's like, well, I thought we could use our own discretion. Oh, sure. You can use your own discretion. Just let us tell you what your discretion is. And then they go and get the dude later, which was so sad. Mm-hmm. Even that says it is closed by order of ministry of peace on suspicion of sedition or something yeah. like that. Or uh-huh. while we investigate accusations of sedition, even if they come back and like, yeah, nothing was here. Sorry. Go back to work. His business is ruined. Yeah. Ruined. Done. You know, I, I got to tell you the word loyal to me takes on a whole different tone these days. Maybe for the last, like, What's it been now? Seven years. Uh, it takes on a whole, whole different tone. I'm like, oh. mm-hmm. uh, especially being loyal. Like, uh, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. And I, and, and I want to own, I think we messed up earlier. I think some of the things I said about Wells was actually about Lance. Lance is the ministry of peace guy. Wells is the night watch guy. Who's part of the ministry of peace. I think I missed, okay. I think I mixed those up, but Wells, dude, that guy's smooth as silk. Smooth, right? I mean, with Kaniki, yeah. oh, thought we could use it. Yeah, totally. Totally. I want you to. That's why you're here. You're so intelligent. Also, only do things like this and do it this way. <laughs> you know, but he, he puts it in that way that you, you you can't argue with it. I, a couple episodes ago, I think it was uh, in the Shadows of Zaha Doom when um, Sheridan was going on Morden and Garibaldi resigned his position and Zach came in and I was like, I don't know, man, Zach's just following orders. And I feel like he should be thinking when they hauled off that shopkeeper mm-hmm. and, and Zach was watching and he had that look on his face and it was an ambig, it was a look of shock and concern, but right. it was ambiguous enough that part of me is like, okay, maybe he saw that. And he's like, Oh, this is a problem. And I don't know if it's worth 50 bucks a week, but also I think there was a part of that. I could read in the look on his face. That was, I do need to tell them about this stuff. This guy's clearly a problem. Like they're arresting him. So clearly he's a problem. My Babylon five radar tells me that 
Zach Allen's going to be full night watch by early in season three. And he's going to be working. I do. I think he's going to be working against the little mini, the fifth column thing that Sheridan's leading. I really hope that's not the case. I love Kinnick. Like, I really hope that that's the other way around. Like, I hope that he, he went through this and went, that felt real icky and that's not okay. And I'm not okay with that. And he becomes like, you know, you know what I want to see from him? Because let's face it, he's a little bit, I don't, he's not really the comic relief, but he's kind of a little bit of a goofball-esque. Yeah. A little little comic relief in there. I want to see him in training to be a ranger. Really? Yeah. I want, I want that. I want him I want him in training to be a ranger. We yeah. can write all the spinoffs. Like, That's like gonna be you okay. know what it is? You know what it is? Here, I'm going to burn my, I'm going to burn my first one. It's Neelix wanting to be a security officer with Tuvok. Like, it's going to be that level right there. That's what I want. That's the meanest thing anybody's ever said to Kanicki. <laughs> and he was on Celebrity Rehab, so that says a lot. But, I mean, talking about Wells, there was the scene with uh, him and Ivanova, right, where he came in. And, I mean, again, just smooth as silk with her. I think without diving into the Ivanova stuff necessarily, just the Wells stuff in there, you know, she shut him down. He didn't care. He's just like, that's cool. You know, whatever. You'll be around. I'll be here. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You want to work harder for your thing? Whatever. It's, it's all good. And then when she, you know, tried to throw a little shade, he's just like, you don't, you know, this is too, this is too much for you. Like he just threw these little insults, but they're the ones you can't, you can't argue against. Like he was, uh-huh. this guy's good. This guy's really good at what he does. So Wells, I want to talk about him for a second. Jeff, I'm going to say something that might surprise you. Okay. And I really hope this, I really hope this is, this is true. I hope that Wells becomes a permanent fixture on Babylon five. Okay. Uh-huh. Because he's so, he's so good at being bad, right? Like he's so slimy. He's so, you love to hate him so much watching him go against uh, everybody out there. Like he introduces that level of chaos in such a way that makes for really good drama and makes for really good story, you know? Um, and there's a, I'll call him the Woolsey element. There's a, there's a show out there. I'm not going to name its name. It's not Star Trek. It's a different star show out there that um, went through a couple of lead changes throughout the course of its, of its run. And it wasn't until the final season where they actually put in an antagonist into the lead position. And it was the best season out of all of them because of the conflict that that brought to the core group, you know, like, like, I don't know if that makes sense at all. Like as, as far as a show goes, as far as the story goes, it was by far the best season, but, but it really hinged on not, Hey, here's everybody sort of happy and working together. It's no, no, no. Here's the fight that's going on. Here's the, 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 how they're rubbing each other the wrong way. And they're each approaching this from two different, uh, aspects where they both think that they're absolutely right and it just made for a great season of television hmm. and i really kind of i don't think he's going to but i really kind of hope he sticks around as a permanent a uh, fixture maybe a, a a commander a commander b with sheridan like he's got to share it or something like that like that oh i think they're clearly trying to come in and, and take over totally yeah you know but we had we had we had lawyer Natoth who came in and was just like uh-huh. you're gonna have to uh, you know go do this and that's gonna lead to you getting replaced and then him being like you can apologize or you cannot and then you're gonna get replaced and we'll put somebody better in who better than Mr. Wells with a 
honorary, you know, commission to commander or whatever. Yeah, I could right. see, I see it though. Maybe I, I, I love the character for all the reasons you just said. And he's not only is he written really well, this dude pulls it off. Great. Like really, really well. I want him to be the spokesperson, right? You know, we're not going to see right. president Clark all the time. Lance, Lance is retiring. He's brokering his peace deal and he's going to be gone. When earth government has something to say, it's going to be Wells. I think that would be cool. And he shows up and then introduces all the chaos and, you know, drops by to see Ivanova again and like give her opportunity to say awesome things. He's the chaos element that just brings that thing to the show. Can I make an observation? Well, yeah. The earth, the earth, the earth dress uniform, earth force dress uniform is swank. Yeah. We've said that a couple times. So good. When he was dressing up, right. And practicing his apology, which was a great scene. But just just the uniform, so good, so good, right? I think on on Night Watch, just to kind of wrap my thoughts on it. One, there's a lady who went and snitched to uh, to Wells, and that yeah. led to to the the Centauri knowing about the Narn battle cruiser. She was operating in CNC. So way back when we were introduced to Home Guard, right? We started asking that question of, oh my gosh, where are the Home Guard people working? They're going to be everywhere. And they had one dude who happened to be Garibaldi's second. It was a big deal. But Nightwatch, they got people in the CNC. They got Zach in security. Like they've got a lot of people in key places who do not hesitate to go and turn people in. That's going to be wild. And the difference is those guys are out in the open. They got like, there is no secret as to who they are. And they're operating with the blessing and endorsement of Earth Dome. Yeah. I mean, oof. Oh, it's, it's horrifying. And I think the scariest thing is the line that Wells said, and it gets repeated in the episode a little bit, as he says, as with everything else, it's the thought that counts. It, it really makes you think about any time there is a group of citizens, civilians that put an armband on put a put a symbol they're wearing something and they're part of a squad they're part of a security force we're the ones who are going to keep this you know we're the the we're, we're going to keep these promises and make sure everybody follows them we're gonna we're gonna police this we're gonna take this responsibility on ourselves and go do this that's not always the best no in fact very rarely is that ever actually helpful to the situation and, and in fact it often is oppressive mm-hmm at best, not just in fiction, in reality, you get, say, hypothetically, like, I don't know, a group of boys that are very proud and maybe they decide to go get some similarly colored shirts, say brown, for example, and walk, you know, I mean, we could go on with examples through multiple cultures, through multiple mm-hmm. times yeah, where this, this is what happens. And it never, never goes well. And it. And it's, they always are oppressive. Mm-hmm. Always. It's never good. No. And, and I think, God, just the, the ties to things in this episode were so well crafted, but also pretty bonk bonk in a lot of times too. And, and, and I think that's fine. I think mm-hmm. they, they need to be Lance as things were wrapping up and explained, you know, he's here to sign the non-aggression treaty. He says, we will know peace in our time and you can hear the echoes 
from 300 years ago when Neville Chamberlain said that about the non-aggression pact he signed with Hitler right before World War II started. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I mean, Earth, Londo is pure evil and irredeemable and Earth are the bad guys. That's the world we live in, Mm -hmm. in Babylon 5. Like, it's wild. It's just wild. Hey, can, can I... Can I tell you something cool about uh, Lance? Yeah. So the actor who plays him is a guy named Roy Dotrice. He's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Is he? He is. He's one of the, um, oh my gosh, I forget. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a guy. He's in Buffy. What, but, so yeah. you're going to say something else cool. Yeah. No. Uh, are, are you a Game of Thrones fan? Eh. Eh. Okay. Eh. Well, a, a lot of our people out there, I'm sure, are Game of Thrones fans. Uh, Roy Dotrice does the audio version for the Song of Ice and Fire books. He reads the audible version, and he's fantastic. He's absolutely fantastic. That's how I've read the books. The 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 only five because there's only five of them that are out. <laughs> sorry, sorry, double D's. Uh, <laughs> sorry about your luck. But he, I mean, they're, he's fantastic at it. Absolutely fantastic. So that's a hey. I know that guy from over there. Yeah, I recognize the name. He was in. I forget what he was in Buffy, but in the later seasons, he had like a recurring recurring guest role in that. I, I'm surprised. Yeah, I guess it was a couple of years before. Maybe that's why I didn't recognize him. That's really cool. Yeah. So Brent, I want to talk about the battle scene that happened, right? So the Narn heavy cruiser came through Sheridan offered it sanctuary eventually. And then Londo finds out. And then so a big Centauri heavy cruiser comes in. Sheridan's like, thou shalt not pass. And if you do try to pass, I will blow you up. <laughs> and like in seconds, it unloaded on Babylon five. We saw Babylon five, like pieces get busted off of the station. Yeah. That was huge. Is that going to follow up in season three? Like, are we going to start with one of those fins missing off of Babylon five? I hope so. Cause we're going to see him at least like reattaching it so they can move forward or because here's what we know about Babylon five. They are not flush with cash. It's not like they can just, Oh, replicate a couple things and slap them on and call it good. That's going to be some duct tape and bubble gum holding that thing <laughs> on for a while. But, I mean, I can't, I cannot believe Jeff cannot believe. The Centauri fired on Babylon 5 itself. The hubris. I mean, just the hubris of just like sheer hubris. Yep. <laughs> worth it. Worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> hey, we're yeah. doing two right now, by the way. Because, I mean, Babylon 5's got brand new weapons. There's a, war, a Narn war cruiser sitting there and one single Centauri cruiser. Like, yeah, I, I got this. I'll hey, by the out. way, all right, I'm going to burn my third one. Who... Who did station weapon upgrades better? Deep Space Nine or Babylon 5? Oh. Deep Space Nine never blew up an entire I, battleship. I was, like it's, it's hurting it to come out of me, but Babylon 5 did a better job. And frankly, there's that sequence of the, the missiles and every, you know the turrets coming up, yep. so much better than what we saw in Deep Space Nine. Because like Deep Space Nine, they did the upgrades, but those upgrades turned into you would see more torpedoes in space. Like it didn't do a lot of cool stuff on the station. We had a whole new visual package for this. New orders being given, new stuff coming out of it. Like they reworked the whole thing. And yeah. And my God, were they just bad booty? Yeah. Like they were, I mean, I don't know if they just accidentally hit like, what is it? An exhaust port. (laughs) <laughs> right you know like i'm not entirely sure why that particular ship went kablooey unless their weapons are just that powerful and i think it was shocking for them too because sheridan like war the battle's kind of over the narn has made it into the through the jump gate 
And so he's like, all right, get the medical crews across. Let's help this. No, it's too late. Oh, no. Right. But what I, I loved in that scene, I think we've talked before about like the, the reality of, of military language that happened. And this battle scene was so military real. Mm-hmm. Uh, target centauri warship, targeting eye. Time on target, time on target eye. Like These are things that the repeating back, it's a really important part of what happens in a situation like this. And even the jargon they use, like time on target. I don't know that I've ever heard time on target in a TV show before. If you don't know, oftentimes, especially in naval battles, that I guess even probably in a lot of battles, but the weapons you have move at different speeds. These missiles are going to go to different speed than these shells that are going to go to different speed of these torpedoes. So you do time on target so that all of your weapons impact your target at the same time. So I'm going to fire my torpedo, three, two, missile, five, six, fire the guns. Boom. And then it hits everything. That's just a really cool, really cool touch that as a vet like that, that really resonated with me. I like it when stuff like that comes out for folks like you. I know, I know for me personally, there are times when watching a medical show and you're just like, that's not what you do in that situation. That is absolutely stupid. Or, or there's a, there's a kid show. I watch I watch this movie way too much with my kids. It's, it's this uh, set of movies called sing. Okay. Oh yeah. Where, yeah. They, where they set up this big, huge show and they've got lights moving. They've got sound system and it's all like supposed to be done, like in the rubble of a broken down building. And I'm like, no, there's not even enough power you, coming into this thing. Little, no, do you know what it takes to program those lights and to set up and run those rigs? No, you cannot do it like that. So those are my two examples. Yours is a little more apropos to this particular situation, but I get what you're saying when you say, Hey, I can appreciate that. But that, of course, led to them telling Sheridan that he needed to apologize, them being Lance and Wells, yeah. that he needed to apologize. And that led to that epic, epic moment of him in the mirror putting this thing on and practicing his apology. <laughs> Sorry you guys shot first, and you guys are a bunch of jerks. Stupid Londo. I lo- he literally called him, I- I'm sorry you were stupid enough to fire on our space station with your people on it. Like, I, I hope that's, it probably wasn't, but I hope that's the apology he intended to give. I really do too. I, I want to hear that speech. I want to hear that speech, but you know what it really led to all that Centauri stank eye. Yeah. As he's walking through. And I said this earlier in the season, I'll say it again. There is no way, no way the station commander is walking through in public areas by himself taking the subway right not happening ever especially to as you put it an a-list event in the zen garden with everybody who's anybody oh i'm just running the show you know hey you think hitchhiking is fine or should i should i hit the light rail like how are we gonna do this no way no way because i'll tell you you know what never happens the president of Walt Disney World never hops on the monorail just to go over from Ticket and Transportation Center to the Magic Kingdom. He doesn't do that. No. That's that's nope. not how that works. <laughs> There's a team and a golf cart. It's kind of how that works. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> more than a golf cart. But if he does go on the monorail, that mono, that car is closed because, frankly, they're going to be having conversations that nobody really needs to hear. Right. But that's not how that's going to work. So <laughs> The whole scene, though. So, one, the the 
I don't know if it's a map painting or what it is. They've got set up for the Zen garden and the whole thing. Gorgeous. It looked really good. He's on the train and then they're showing all the ambassadors kind of milling about. Yeah. And the two things I thought were notable in that was <laughs> Jakar in the corner. Like, hi, I'm here too. <laughs> like you gotta go, dude. You cannot be here right now. I thought I could step in and maybe it makes, no, it's not go away. <laughs> This is literally a beehive. Like, do not be here. There's nothing for you here. <laughs> but I noticed Londo all by himself with just a little bitter look on his face. And everybody else, like Pac Maran, the Drazi are kind of visiting and other people. And Londo's out there all alone. And then the bomb goes off. And all of a sudden, I did some math about the station when they were describing, he's basically just floating there. And I was like, yeah, because... Because it rotates for gravity. This is a big deal for me to understand this. I'm like, oh, because it rotates for gravity. And the further from like center you get, the less gravity there is. So up here where the monorail runs, it's probably close to no gravity. So it jumps out and there's nothing, but the spinning is going to come around. So it's not him falling. It's the station spinning around to meet him. And at some point he'll meet it at 60 miles per hour and splat be gone he's not gonna hit like the ground he's gonna hit like the side of a building mm -hmm. or yeah. something of that nature like yeah or a tree he's in the zen garden might hit a right tree. right like he's gonna hit just bam it, i thought it was neat all they really needed was some jetpacks just to go up and catch him yeah like that's all i need is a jetpack they need to have some safety guys on the train ready to go so yeah. in that as you described you know delenn's like dude gosh we got to do something about this and he whips it out and he's an angel. <laughs> there you go. He's an angel. Okay. Did you see that coming at all? Oh yeah. Actually I did. Not you saw you saw the Vorlon as angels. Go back to the episode we had uh with Lita Alexander. And that's what I said. We had the whole conversation about how we perceive angels to look now and how we how people are scared of angels all the time. Do you do you even listen to anything we say on this show? <laughs> I listen back to every single episode. No, Jeff, no. no, you did not think he was an angel. I did. I thought he was an angel or whatever people see as like their deity or their most important thing. Cause okay. Lita Alexander had the halo in her eye. Yeah. You might've said that. Dude, you also dude. told me that they mentioned Zaha doom way back in like episode one or two or something and like dude? that. And you're totally lying about that Reve too. I know you are revelations, revelations. Yeah. But my question, even before we get into talking about his form, was Delenn's like, dude, you got to do something. And without hesitation, comes up and he flew off. I don't know that anyone else saw him. Like, like I don't know. I don't know that other people know that's Kosh. Oh, like maybe they were. Oh, because, you know, so there was this weird moment down in the Zen garden. And I, I kind of made fun of it a little bit in the Brent watches video where Delenn and Kosh, like they're at this party, they're milling around. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of just sneak off to the side of it. Like they look like they were going to make out. <laughs> to be frank with you. Like that's what they look like. Hey, we're going to sneak away for a few minutes. <laughs> and you might be right. Nobody might actually know that that's Kosh. Even Sheridan, right? Was like when, when yeah. he's staring, he's like, Kosh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with a really awkward nod. I really, I want to hear what Kosh's voice sounds like. Not in the uh, suit. I bet he doesn't have a voice. Oh, it's probably true. It's probably some sort of thing. And the reason, like when he talks, you have that. Yes. yes. It's yeah, like yeah. translating his telepathic thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I put some pieces together from Comes the Inquisitor and into this one. Oh, are we getting the red yarn out? No, no not so much. I think oh, okay, I think okay. this is just kind of like, well, maybe a little bit in terms of, so I think it was in that one or one recently also where I talked about um, the book, the Bible and flying saucers and how like there's some, you know, theories out there that Christianity and Judaism are actually based on stuff aliens brought to us. Uh-huh. We learned and comes the inquisitors that the Vorlon have been involved in earth history for at least a couple hundred years, if not a lot longer. This makes us think a lot longer. Like they showed up as angels, you know, to a point that we recognize them as angels in, in comes the inquisitor. The uh, Sebastian said the Vorlon are everywhere. They've been everywhere. The Vorlon are, they simply are. Yeah. In Exodus, when Moses talked to the burning bush, it identified itself as I am. Mm-hmm. Are the Vorlons our, the deity that Abrahamic religions have accepted on earth? Is that the storyline here? Is it's been the Vorlon all along? I, I think that is the implication. And I think that the implication is, is that, uh, and, and I think this plays true understanding that JMS is an avowed atheist. Mm-hmm. Okay. That whatever your faith is, and I think that was the implication that everybody was seeing their own thing, right? Whatever your faith is, it's all the same. And it's just an alien. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> makes it real simple that way. You know, like, like you kind of get, it's sort of this more universalist type uh, faith, to be frank with you. But I got to tell you, this is something I love when sci-fi does. I love fantasy. I like when fantasy does this too, but sci-fi specifically, when you go back and you rewrite Earth's history with a new understanding of what happened, you know, like, mm-hmm. so to, to go back and, and, you know, I mean, take the, the theological preferences and stuff and set all that aside, just, just the story element of like, Hey, this is actually what was going on the whole time. Turns out it was these guys and they were, I mean, what, what did Sheridan say? They were getting us ready so that everybody would accept them or they were lying to us. They were, you know, and, and Delenn's like, yeah, they were, but that's, not really the right way to look at it right so there's more to it yeah um but i definitely i definitely think what you're saying there is what is being implied it also made me think of confessions and lamentations where delenn told the story about being the kid and being lost and being in the temple and she looked up and saw a glowing being who you know took her hand and said i won't allow any harm to come to you in my home i wonder if that was a vorlon glowing figure so they're like they're still interjecting themselves into either world's history or even just specific people's history you know delenn might have been marked as special as a as a kid maybe we'll learn there's been weird incidences in sheridan's life that have led up to where like maybe a a hand or a volon or something might have you know you know what you're starting to sound like now is uh jacob from lost Oh my gosh. Yes, You know, like always guiding <laughs> right? like these, this particular group of people. He was always there and they're uh-huh. something. Yeah. Yeah. Cause one of them might be the chosen one, which means, which means beer is the guy who's actually going to be the, the crux of the whole thing. I'm telling you, I'm telling you like, yep. Veer's going to be the hero at the end of this. So my, my last thought on, on the Kosh thing is Londo. Uh, yeah. You know, they're all, they're all in the bar and they're like, ambassador Malari, what did you see? <sighs> Nothing. Yeah. So go, go back just a little bit when Kosh did his little flying thing and everybody's like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And then Ka- or Londo's sitting there like, huh? 
Uh. Uh? Like he's looking. And so I, I think if I can ask the question that you were getting ready to ask, did Londo actually see something or didn't he like, was he going, huh? Like everybody's looking at something. I don't see what's going on or there's Sheridan floating and I don't see what's going on with him, which then begs, do you have to be of a certain quality in order to see a Vorlon? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, can they, can, can they mask themselves from people that are bad? Like, what is that all about? Because I don't get the whole point of having the encounter suit is that people could see you and then they would recognize you. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the point if you can just block yourself to all the bad guys? My, I don't know if I have an assumption with Londo. One of it, one of the things is maybe he was blocking the other is maybe he doesn't truly believe in anything. So he didn't see anything. Or maybe he just saw a bunch of appendages. Right. It's just like, like, huh? It's a bunch of Centauri dongs up there. Right. Why, why are there wieners in the sky? <laughs> well, little riff on Perry grip. It's rainy. No, stop. stop. <laughs> that might was... record, might record that one for the Patreon. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I'm so red right now. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. But, um, but to your point, yeah. What's the mechanism through which you see is, is, is the way I see Kosh a thing in my brain or is it a thing that he's like projecting? Does he have control over it? You know what I mean? Like, how does yeah. it happen? Cause if he has control over it, that would wipe me out. Okay. Who's here? What are they thinking? How would I present myself? Are they good? Are they bad? Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, Jeff, what describe the color green. What is the color green? Yellow and blue. Yeah, but what is yellow? What is blue? I mean, you you could point at something and say that that's green. I could be like, yes, absolutely, that's green. And while we both may agree that that's green, we could be seeing two entirely different things. The cones in your eyes and the cones in my eyes, for those who don't know, you have cones in your eyes that detect color, could be interpreting them as two different things. But because you've always looked at that and gone, that is green, and I've always looked at what I see and say that is green, that we could be seeing two very different things. I think it might be similar to that. Like you're looking at this and the cones in your eyes, see this. And this guy looks at that and the cones see that. And it's, it's just how you absorb it, but you're both seeing the same thing. Yeah. That's, that's my read on it. That tracks. It can make sense. My question then would be, what do they really look like? You know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. They look like Jason Ironheart is how they look. <laughs> that's he's the closest thing to it. Mm -hmm. Do we want to talk about the Keffer? Thing at all i mean it happened no i mean no this was jms giving a big middle finger to the studio who's like ah you made me get this guy I only used him like six times and now i tell him ah i only told you i do it for one season thing goes out to the news and people are like oh there's a big black ship that's i think going to be way more important than we realize like yeah. that was just this little tag on at the very end that you're like oh because you know what that that was the same level at, okay spoiler alert for the second Spider-Man movie of the MCU. You guys ready? It's not that old. So I'm going to give you guys a chance. If you don't want to hear it, fast forward by about 30 seconds, three, two, Jeff, have you seen the movie? You've not seen the movie. No, but I muted you. So I can't hear you even though I just oh. responded to you. Okay. Shoot. Watch this. Watch. Okay. No, you're totally fine. Um, just wave at me when you're done. Okay. For those of you who, who have not, or who have watched the end, it's the same thing as when, J. Jonah Jameson outs Peter Parker as being Spider-Man at the end of Spider-Man 2. It's that level of, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? Holy bleep. 
it's a shadow or it's a big black spider thing. Is that on my screen? Let me, right. Let me get that thing. Right. The, the fortunate thing is we don't know what that is. And by we, I mean the viewing population back on earth, like, Hey, we saw this thing out there. That's interesting. You know, and the Babylon five people like, Oh shoot. We know what that is actually. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Back up. Who actually knows what that is? Almost no one. The the Narns do. We know the Narns do. No, uh, they don't. No, because if the Narns saw it, they are dead. Yeah. Yeah. So the Narns don't know who it is. I don't think Londo's ever seen it. Maybe he, maybe he did. Maybe did they see were they the ones attacking and they were kind of watching from the ship? No, that was those were those were Narn cruisers, but he did see them in his vision where he was walking on the planet's surface and there were all the sh- he doesn't necessarily know that they're shadows. I, like I don't think that Sheridan has seen them. Has Delenn seen what they look like? Kosh certainly would know what they look like, but does anybody really know what that thing is outside of us as a viewing audience and Kosh? And the one pilot that Keffer got the 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 data from that tracked. That's it. Right. But that's but it. even that one pilot doesn't know what it is. Yeah, he just knows it. But I think he'll see it. And he'll, right. But he doesn't. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't know what it is. He just knows. Oh, my God. That's the thing. The thing that I saw. I mean, Jakar, Jakar has some drawings in the book of Jaquan. Like there's, there's obviously some mythology about them out there somewhere, but you know, who doesn't know is Anna because she's not out there. She's dead. She knows she's on Pakmara right now, trying to figure out how to, how to wrap them into the whole thing. The, uh, the, at the end of it, they had the whole Ivanova narration that was fantastic. So good. Yeah. But she said that Babylon five was the last best hope for peace, but we know that failed. So now it's our last best hope for victory. Yeah. Well, wow. but what did she say? Because peace also means surrendering. Yeah. It's another or word. Peace for sometimes surrender. means surrendering. Yeah. And now what'd she say? Now it's our last best hope for what? Victory. For victory. Yeah. And so I did a little math that I didn't ever notice. I never did this math before and I'm wearing the wrong shirt, but I've got the shirt with the Babylon five logo with a sword through it. And I always just thought, Oh, that's cool. And C and C they got a Babylon five with like part of an olive branch in it, which makes sense. Last best hope. Really? For peace. Yeah. Never noticed it till Mr. Lance was walking through the door, but there it was. I'll bet you season three, it's going to have a sword through it because now we're not here for peace. We're here to win. That's, you know, I, I don't know that other countries do this, but I know like, like in America, we have the, uh, the great seal Mm -hmm. of America and it's an Eagle. And in one talent, he's holding 13 arrows. And in another talent, he's holding an olive branch. And depending on what's happening at the time, his head is facing one way or the other. And like, if this piece of legislation or whatever gets enacted during a time of war, his head's facing the arrows. But if it gets enacted during a time of peace, his head's supposed to be facing the olive branch. Yep. Like it's just a subtle little change, but it's the, uh, CVS, CVS Pachum Parabellum sure. to, be re- to be ready for war, to be ready for peace. You must be ready for war. And technically, cause that's an episode of discovery. And that's what I had in my notes from Starfleet leadership. Yeah cool i would you could have not said that and i would not have picked up that reference at all i'm gonna be fair about it so i got one last question for you and that was at the end when ivana was doing her voiceover she was lighting the candles on the menorah yeah i mean it's a powerful beautiful scene sure what do you think that was was behind that well i think she forgot to celebrate hanukkah which actually had ended Mm -hmm. about 12 days earlier and she's like, oh, yeah, I better catch up on this. And so she was just catching up on, on her uh, faith's tradition. 
I, I made it a, a mental note to think about that a little more deeply because I think there's definitely some symbolism there. Well, there was, there was a through line with her and Lance when they had kind of like a friendly conversation. Oh, how are your grandkids? Oh, you got kids? No, I don't have kids. And then asked about her Christmas plans or whatever. And she's like, yeah, I don't really, yeah, yeah. I'm not really, you know, very much into that kind of stuff. And yeah. I don't have a family. But then she went and she got shared in the Christmas present, right? A piece, a piece of the black star. Right. Which by the way, that's a cool Christmas present. It is. Especially like, when she explained it, like this is to remind you that anything's possible. Like that was so cool. Such a good say, you know, The impossible is possible. Yeah. Oh. However, flip side on that. 100% chance of Minbari's going to see that and be like, look at him celebrating. Like, that's going to blow up in his face at some point for a minute. Mm-hmm. But they had that. And then she was. You know, no, event. you know when that's going to come back? Sorry. When that's like things are going to be going really good between uh, John and oh, Delenn. Yeah. And then she's going to see it and take offense at it. And then they're going to be on the outs for a bit. Yep. That's. You told me you were over her, that it wasn't serious. I'm not, I'm not into her anymore. I mean, I haven't talked to her in forever. I don't know where these came from. I must, she must have left them here. I can't believe it. I'm leaving. Pretty much exactly how it will go. Not that I have experience with that or anything. Hey, so Ivanova, Ivanova was in the Zen Garden when Kosh took flight. I wonder if she saw the angel and it sparked something in her and she was like a return to her faith of some kind. Yeah, I mean, so we go back to the best episode, TKO, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Ivanova learned something even about her own faith that even if you are late, it's still better to celebrate. You know what I mean? And when you think about the menorah, so the menorah, um, and again, this is, you probably have a better understanding, so please help correct me. And the menorah is a representation of the story of the Maccabees when God made the lights last for a really super long time. Mm-hmm. something like that right so what does this mean in the light uh or the darkness of this war that is now here wow and, di- yeah. and discussing the this is now our last chance for victory our last chance of hope that when you when you look at okay here it is here it is the hopeless situation that the that the 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 maccabees and the jews were in in that moment and the miracle it took to keep those candles, to keep the, the those lights burning when they needed those lights burning, right? Mm-hmm. That miracle, they're now facing darkness themselves and they need a miracle. They need something, a deity, a kosh that they just saw to keep those moving through. They need to find and identify the beauty in the dark to tie it back to the uh, the episode from earlier. That's great. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And uh, if there's anyone out there who understands Hanukkah and, and that sold thing, then I just completely butchered it. Please feel free to email and correct me. I, I would love to learn and have that corrected. That's just my best understanding. Well, Jeff, with that, uh, we have reached that show, that, that point of the show, where after it, a very lengthy discussion, well-deserved for this episode, we're going to boil it down and see if it has any of that Star Trekky quality to it. Is there a deep moral message? Is it holding up a mirror to society? Is it giving us hope that we could be better in the future? I'm going to do that by rating this on a scale of zero to five deltas. And Jeff, you're going to talk about how much we liked this episode and how Babylon 5 this episode was by uh, rating this according to Star Furies. I will go first. I didn't catch a lot of Star Trek out of this particular episode. I think you could pull certain ideas and really stretch it out to be just sort of universal good ideas 
but I don't think that there was a whole lot of like, Hey, here's the message we're really going for. We're trying to drive home here. Like, like they just didn't have that kind of quality to it. Like some things are just good TV. They're just meant to be entertainment. They're meant to move a story forward. And I feel like that was the, uh, the, the, the deal here. However, um, like JMS, I know Gene Roddenberry very much was, a. I, I don't know that he was an avowed atheist as much as he might've been an agnostic or he was just a, he, he created Star Trek in a post religious society. Although they still had a lot of religion references throughout their whole deal, but whatever. Tons, um, yeah. uh, but he really intended for it to be a post-religious society and to that whole piece with Kosh of, of sort of rewriting religion as an alien thing. Like, I don't know that that's so much Star Trek as much as that just is sci-fi. So for that, I'm going to give this one like a Delta just one. wow. But I don't think it really, I think this was more plot and make things happen type of video. There were two things in this episode that stood out to me from the Star Trek. One we talked about, right? That knowing that the impossible is possible. I look at that though, as a thing we've talked about a couple of times where they drop a piece. It's a something, what's it going to turn into here? It was literally a line, you know, like yeah. we need hope. And so you've done it before and we're excited, but I think it's a great uh, concept to explore. But the one that I actually pulled a message out of that I think was kind of a theme through the whole episode was the scene where like they now they know that Earth Force is here to sign the non-aggression treaty with the Centauri and they're getting all dressed and ready to go. And Sheridan was like, I used to have pride in this. Now, now you know, I used to look at that uniform and I, I felt 10 feet tall. Yeah. I could take anybody on. Now it's just a piece of cloth. And Ivana was like, well, maybe maybe this next year is the 20, was 2260 is the yeah. year that we redefine the uniform. We make it mean something again. That to me, that's the Star Trek theme in here is that even, even when what you believe in and have fought for is falling apart, you don't have to give up, right? You might not win now, but you can look to the future and you can think about what you can do to, to make it mean something again, to make it matter. I would, I would love to revisit that probably at the end of season three and see, did they accomplish that? You know, because Star, Star Trek would have taken that and handled that in an episode. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? we and we like, might we might see it in the first episode like in season three we might just dive in and be like oh nope they're they're elbow deep in, in centauri blood and here we go you know or whatever I, I mean but like we we definitely we saw something like that in discovery when you had the they went to the future and the flag drops down and well what, what is really the federation and it was like let's bring the federation back to what it was let's bring it relight this purpose and i, I can see where you're going with that I'm going to leave it at one because they, they started the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. If they, if they go with it, then we can come back to that. But I, I, I get where you are and that's why it's not zero. Yeah. There's something there. There's something. There's something there. It's just not, I don't know that that's quite what they're going for just yet. So what about you? How many star Furies you give this episode? I think season ending episodes are tough, right? I mean, we, yeah. we struggled with chrysalis at the end of season one, cause it was a non cliffhanger season ender that wrapped up stuff and set stuff up, you know, for other things. It wasn't a jaw dropper. Exactly. It was Chrysalis just like, was not a jaw dropper. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing here. Cause like the earth stuff that happened. Yeah. That was huge. Totally predictable. Mm -hmm. The Centauri like being wild warmongers, Londo full villain. Yeah. It was big. Also totally predictable. The Kosh reveal was unexpected. I didn't think we were getting that in season two. But also it was kind of predictable. Oh, look, it's the thing that Jeff thought it was going to be from a couple episodes ago. 
on a second watch through on this one too, I can look at the pacing they did, the infection model of stuff, and I can understand the intention that they had of, you know, trying to kind of lull you into a sense of, oh, it's just another episode and then yeah. boom. But it's a season finale. We know what it's going to be. And we just came off of Comes the Inquisitor. That was, I mean, we had a great discussion about it last week. You added a ton of context and thoughts to it, but that was still a slow episode. And so to come out of that into a season finale that's just kind of dragging, ugh, that was hard. But Star Furies aren't just about how much we enjoy the episode, right? It's also about how Babylon 5 that we think it is. This has all of the things that a Babylon 5 episode should have. But you said a while ago when we were doing these ratings that people would hate it if you and I were both like college professors and we graded papers. You said people would hate if I graded their papers. And I'm going to prove that right now. <laughs> this was a Babylon 5 episode. It was far from a banger. And, you know, in a lot of ways that it could have been, that it uh -huh. should have been. It was a good episode. It was great. Um, I'm I'm going to go with four. Four star theories on this one. Are you now? Are you grading that up just because you're like? Would you really give it four star theories, or are you really more like three? But I know Brent's gonna like growl at me, so I'm gonna give it four. Or do you legit want to give it four? I wanted to give it three. Like when I was thinking about this earlier, I was yeah. like, I want to give it three. But what pushed it to four for me was this is Babylon Five. Yeah, Babylon Five of having our beloved Londo move beyond redemption. To yeah. take Earth, Earth, our home, where we come from, and make them the big evil bad guy in the whole thing. That's Babylon 5. Doesn't get much more Babylon 5 than that. So to yeah. me, that's what pushed it to four. Well, with that then, Jeff, because this actually was going to be my next question, but it occurs to me that we're right here in this spot where we're ranking the episodes. Now, Jeff, you and I talked earlier today. I don't remember if it was before we pressed record for the podcast or if it was during the podcast. Maybe we were just talking to our YouTube friends. Which, by the way, if you're not watching the YouTube videos, you should go do that because that's where the real show is happening. But we were talking about how this season has been a bit of a roller coaster up and down in quality of episode. We've had some really high, high episodes and we've had some really low, low episodes, um, really just blech episodes, to be frank with you, and some really great, good episodes Jeff, we're ranking these episodes. This is the absolute 100% completely accurate definitive ranking of Babylon 5 season two. You get to place the season finale of the fall of night. Currently, our top five is from number one down the long twilight struggle, the coming of shadows, a race through dark places in the shadow of Zaha doom and all alone in the night. Does this episode crack the top 10? Well, my first thought as I look at this list is that we still have that empty spot right above the long dark that yeah. we still have in place. And so, I mean, this could slide right in there. Don't, don't stop watching. Don't stick around. <laughs> I was just saying that. I'm not going to put it there. Not going to put it there. This was a great episode. And this ranking is about more than what, like how much we enjoyed it. This is, you know, this is caliber of episode and everything. Yeah. So um, immediately where my mind goes, right. At first, it has to say, is this our number one episode of the season? And it's not. The long yeah. twilight struggle was so much better. Felt like the season finale. It totally. still feels like that was the season finale. It might yeah. be the best episode of Babylon 5 we've seen. I would not disagree. Yeah, yeah it's so good. 
So then we start stepping through the other ones that are there, right? They come in the shadows, race through dark places, and the shadow of Zaha Doom, all alone in the night, divided loyalties, and it goes on and on. It's right for me, I land, I ask myself this question, which episode blew me away more? Mm. Fall of Night or In the Shadow of Zaha Doom? And for me, it was In the Shadow of Zaha Doom. We got huge drops in there. This was the result of the stuff we got. I'm going to make let this. Me, let, me, let me ask you a question. Okay. If you take away the Kosh revelation, what does that do to this episode? It's going to drop it down even more. Yeah. The Kosh revelation is what actually it's brings huge. it. Yeah. It brings it. Because without, without that, honestly, I can, I can look at this and I, I'm gonna, I would make this the number 10 episode below Knives without the uh, Kosh revelation. Yeah. But the Kosh revelation is huge. It's massive and, and that it alone a lot to it. Yeah. Yep. And and for me, that's going to make it our new number five. Uh, going to put it right below in the shadow of Zaha Doom and right above all alone in the night. All right. Well, I, I have no say in where that goes because this is our 100% completely accurate, definitive ranking. So, well, Brent, that's it for the fall of night and for season two of Babylon five, sort of normally this is the spot where we guess what's going to happen in next week's episode, but we already know what's going to happen in next week's episode. Oh, we don't. I haven't watched yet. It's our season two wrap up. We've oh, watched all the episodes. Yeah. We don't We're have just gonna, an episode to watch. Jeff, are you serious? We have 22 episodes to watch for, for next week's episode. <laughs> That's it. Oh, because we got to rewatch the entirety of season two to <laughs> yeah. lock in the rankings, huh? Well, we're going to do that. We're going to talk about um, who our favorite characters were, what our big takeaways from the season were, what questions we still have. I would like to do a season rating of Deltas and a season rating of Star Furies. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. We got some work to do to get ready for this one. It's going to be great. We got to talk about what all we're going to do. Yeah. We still got to figure that out, what it's going to look like. But the cool thing, what I love about the Babylon 5 for the first time communities, Brent, you and I are not the only ones with work to do. Mm. Everyone out there has work to do as well, because in the season two wrap up, we're going to do an epic epic giveaway and i'll go through this pretty quickly because we're we've run very long in our conversation of this episode but we've got an incredible action figure it's captain john sheridan in a model of babylon 5 within the action figure it's so perfect that john sheridan could hold it in his pointy pointy hand it's in box it's still in box it's beautiful it's yeah. awesome and it could be yours if you just pop over to apple Podcasts, pod chaser good pods any of those places Leave us a rating, leave us a review, screenshot that, send it to us and by email, Babylon5first at gmail.com. It's the number five and the word first at gmail.com or on Twitter at Babylonfirst. We're gonna throw all those in the bag along with the people who have left reviews in the meantime and who entered in the season one giveaway as well. We're gonna reach in, we're gonna draw it out and we're gonna give away Captain John Sheridan right here next week Thank you all so much for joining us for this conversation about this season two finale, the fall of night. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. And like I said, head over, do the review, screenshot it and send it to us. So Brent until next time, hey Jeff. Yeah. I think you should apologize. Apollo for what? For that absolutely terrible joke you said back during a race through dark places. <laughs> Apologize for that? 
for doing my job like hell. Peace and long life. Eh, as with everything else, it's the thought that counts. It's my first time. She gets a star fury. She gets a tiny star fury. Awesome. She can um, like throw it at people. Yeah. And you can kind of, you can kind of see it. She has, she doesn't have the pointy finger. She has a little, uh, I'm drinking tea. Oh, she's finger. Yeah. Yeah. She got the little, little pinky thing going on. Um, but also she has her communicator, uh, or her link or whatever they call it uh-huh. on the opposite hand that Jaren does. Huh? Maybe you get to, maybe that's like a, isn't, isn't one of them left-handed. 